sons unleashed. G'day everyone, Robbie Turner's my name, welcome to another episode of Axons Unleashed. You might observe we've got a slightly different configuration right now. Luke is here with me, hello champion. Hey brother. Um, we thought we'd just sort of tie things up, I said to Daniel, our AV guy this morning, I said mate I'm loving doing these podcasts but I don't want to sit in the same place every single time. So yeah, hope you guys are enjoying those watching on YouTube or following at home and your little configuration. Mate, we've got a really special guest that's come in today. We absolutely do. Now I'll give you a little bit of an insight, We got a, Robbie and I got an opportunity to have lunch with this gentleman just before we sat down to go through this podcast so we already know a little bit about his, about his story and I was learning that for the first time but Robbie's actually got a pretty close connection with him so I'm excited for our listeners to be able to hear and see what he's going to take through about his journey. Yeah I love it I've known this guy for about 20 years uh, Jordan McCallum welcome to Axons Unleashed brother good to see you. Good to see you too, Robbie. Mate, fantastic. You were saying before, this is your first podcast, and I can't believe you've got an amazing story, an amazing career, a, you know, a, a, a heralded special forces operator and a really successful businessman now, and you haven't had a chance to sort of jump on a podcast. So we're breaking new ground here. You said, you said to me that there's a few other people that have been trying to get you to do a podcast, and I'm like, thank you very much. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think uh, 2023 will be a few podcasts Happened in my way, but yeah, I thought that I'd, I'd, I'd kick it off with the, the best podcast in uh, South East Queensland with you guys. So in like, South East Queensland. Yeah. There's only two others, by the yeah, way, so I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so happy to have you here. Um, as you know, we're sort of talking about people's uh, experiences joining the military, what your basic training was like. We'll tell, certainly tell the story about how we met, you know, what you did in your career, how your transition was, and what, what you're doing now. So, um, you know, Luke, you're absolutely right. It was a, it's a great journey that Jordan's been on, and I can't wait to share it with everyone. Let's get rolling. All right, mate. So where did you grow up and, and why did you join the military? Take us all the way back. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so 40 minutes up the road in Logan. Um, so I actually didn't realise what type of reputation Logan had until I joined the army. And people would ask, oh, where are you from? And I'm from, I said I'm from Logan. And they go, oh, okay, it's Jesus. And so, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, I quickly realised that um, Logan wasn't a normal kind of area. But, yeah, no, it uh, prepared me well for the Army. For those that don't know, uh, Logan's in the southern corridor of Brisbane heading down towards the Goldie. And the, rep yep. the reputation around it is that, you you know, you fight for your lunch money every day when you go to school. So they grow up pretty tough around those areas. Yeah, well, well funny you should mention that because my first deployment was actually to primary school. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine was to primary school. <laughs> Mate, were you, in, in all seriousness, well, whilst you're in uh, primary school, like, were you running around doing cowboys and Indians and stuff? Like, did you think you were going to join the military from the, like, or when did that sort of happen? Um, I did play, I did play uh, armies when I was younger, but to be honest, I never thought I'll actually join. Um, I actually, yeah, sort of left left school, uh, finished year 12, but then, um, yeah, sort of, I was going nowhere quick. I was actually working down here on the Gold Coast at a cabinet-making factory. Yeah, right. And, um, and, yeah, whilst I was waiting to, you know, join the, join the army, it took nine months at that stage. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was one of those things where I actually said to my parents, oh, I'm going to join the army. And they'll, both pretty shocked. They actually told me later on, years down the track, that they actually went back to their room and started laughing because they thought I'd never make it. But um, right? wow. yeah, yeah, because just yeah, I was you know um, sort of going nowhere quick, pretty unfit back then, um, and just directions didn't really have any discipline or motivation. Yeah, so the army actually was incredibly gave me a lot of great things for. What, what year are we talking about now? Just to sit you situate everyone. Uh, I joined uh, two thousand and two. Okay, so you're like late nineties at school. Yeah, yeah. Late 90s uh, at school. Yeah, graduated year uh, 2000, actually, yeah. Y2K. Right, the, cl the yeah. class the class of Y2K, good <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, it's unusual because, you know, you obviously had a fantastic career there and I couldn't imagine you being yes. a slovenly, unfit, not motivated sort of guy. But, it, yeah, it's just – so tell us about um, when you actually got got accepted down in Kapuka, head shaved, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so Kapuka, um, yeah, got, got my head shaved, um, was there for – I think back then it was – Kapuka was six and a half weeks – and mate, from what I remember, massive culture shock. Yeah, yep. it was it was crazy. I, yeah, same as everyone really. Like, take us through that because we're we're doing a bit of a deep dive on people's um, you know, basic training. Did you bus train automobile down in Kapuka? When was the first time you sort of knew? Like, what, what when was the realization? You're like, shit, you know, this is getting real now. Someone's yelling at me for the first time. Take our listeners and viewers into what happened for for Jordan. Yeah, so essentially on the bus down there because um, we. Uh, I think we flew to Sydney and then got the bus from the airport, if I remember correctly. And then it was just going through uh, all the different um, areas on the bus and it was just like, 
I've kicked from Brisbane. You know, been to Sydney once when I was for a footy team, and yep. you know, when I was what ten or eleven or whatever. And just then, I was like, "Wow, this is you know, the nerves starting to build." And then when we got to Kapuka, it was yeah, yelling and all this type of hoo ha. And then, um, and then yeah, that like the first few meals they served us hot boxes, so there was no real chance to um, come together and sort of chat or discuss or get sort of. Uh, familiar with your peers at the first stage, you were sort of, you know, in, in those, you know, obviously the guy next to you or whatever in, in your room, but you know, the first couple of meals were hot boxes. I just remember thinking, what the hell is, like, is this it? Like, you're going to be sitting here <laughs> eating hot boxes. Like, this wasn't like, on the video. Because I was 18, you know, like, you know, still wet behind the ears and all that and just thinking, man, what have I done? I'm never going to make it here. Like, this is crazy. Um. How were the how were the other guys? Did you have a dual um, gender platoon or male only? Uh, no, it was, um, yeah, dual gender. Yeah, right. 23 platoon, yeah. Stand fast, uh, Charlie, Charlie Cummings. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, mixed gender. Um, yeah, no, it was good, yeah. Yeah, uh, honestly, six weeks. It wasn't, there was no time to even scratch your ass. Like, it was, I think I think they've changed it now back to the 12 weeks or 11 or something, like, but because of those reasons. It was new CEO, new cycle, new ideas. Yeah. Round and round and round in fucking circles we go. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, Jordan. We've, we've got a young young guy who Robbie and I are mentoring through. He's just gone down to Kapuka at the moment. And he gives, I, I said to him, please, mate, when you get there, contact your mum first. Let your mum know you're okay. But please reach out to Robbie and I and give us a bit of an update on what's going on, on a, you know, on a week-to-week basis when they get their phones. And, mm-hmm. and he's he said the same thing. So he said, even though it's an extended period of time, that they've, it seems that they've filled the curriculum with enough stuff to make sure that he is sufficiently tired and sufficiently hungry yeah. through the entire program. So it doesn't sound like it's changed too much mate <laughs> nah and it's it's really um i don't think any well, i know a lot of people that i speak to don't really enjoy kapuka that much because you just yeah. you know it's just you, you it's you, not supposed to be a holiday camp <laughs> just in case you're wondering ladies yeah. and gents yeah exactly. nor is done true by the yeah. way especially when i'm involved <laughs> <laughs> what what was the most challenging thing you're going through but was there something down there that challenged you though at kapuka yeah uh yeah um yeah it was just i think the whole thing the whole thing just being in a routine, working long hours, uh, even though I was working fairly long hours before, you know, at a normal job, you get to go home and it's all that type of thing. It was, you know, you're away, uh, you know, for essentially the whole time and there's no, there's no, there's no sort of enclave to go back to where it's like no one's, you know, either yelling at you, talking to you or sort of taking notes on what you're doing, you know. So um, for an 18-year-old, that, I suppose that sense of freedom was really taken away from you and that's something that I felt, yeah, for sure. When was the first time you felt like you're like, I don't feel like a civvy anymore, I feel like I'm in the military? Uh, to be honest, it was after Timor deployment in 2003, right. yeah. Right, so not, not marching out of Kapuka when you're like literally there with your nah. buddy, your slouch hat on and you're marching around, the family's there in the front, like you're standing there and acting like a soldier. You still didn't, the penny hadn't dropped with you, with you then? No, nah, it was, it was, for me it was, it was just a role. Yeah. You know, like, a, you know, you, you knew what to do to sort of um, just get on with the job and you're, you know, you, you're doing, you know, obviously drill and weapons handling and, you know, field craft, all that type of thing. But I actually didn't feel like... Um, yeah, like it was, it was uh, fully, like a, a proper soldier was after. Yeah, I felt like after my first team all deployment with one RAR in two thousand three. We'll jump forward to yeah. that. If, if you don't mind, we'll stick on the on the yeah. the Avenitio training for a little bit. Um, you're a pretty accomplished guy, and you've you know you've achieved a fair bit, particularly in your military career. And we'll go through what that means. Did you find p- most parts of Kapuka like was it fairly kind of easy? Not easy, but did you find the assimilation of information like an easy process to go through? Given that you are a fairly skilled kind of individual, um, no, I didn't. Some yeah, okay. some things, but I was I was terrible um, at uh, a, f- a few things actually. Yeah, I think it was just the whole like. Uh, weapons handling, I wasn't that great at the start. Yep. Um, navigation, I was okay. Um, the drill, shit at drill, still shit at drill. Um, <laughs> well, lucky you don't have to do that anymore, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly there's not too much drill that goes on a SOCOM. Nah. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's probably one of the uh, big draw cards, actually. <laughs> I fucking hate sons. drill. I'm going to put myself through two separate selection courses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good point, yeah. <laughs> So Timor, uh, one R- so you got um, went to infantry out of Kapuka up to one RER, big blue one. That yeah. must have felt good. Yeah, that was that was great. Yeah, I was um, the first twelve months. I was a bit of a piss wreck, like like most guys, I suppose. Like yep. uh, 
back in the old uh, culture or dollar drinks out of Bullwinkles or the Criterion. Yeah, Tuesday, Thursday nights. It was yeah, it was it was in full swing back then and um, taking full advantage of it. Um, it was only probably when I started to get a bit serious before the team all deployment because you know the training, the training routine and the schedule was like okay, guys, team all's coming up now. Alpha Company, you know, it's time to get real. And yeah, that was when I was like. What are we talking? Two thousand two, two thousand three. Uh yeah, two thousand and back end of two thousand and two, but the start of two thousand and three, because um, we deployed, I think, around just after Anzac Day, two thousand and three. Yep. So for those listening, that you know, around that two thousand and two, two thousand and three period in Timor, it was still a very busy lot, lots of work to do for the guys that were going over on rotation. So correct me if I'm wrong, mate. It was still still a, d- a declared war zone at that point in time. So you went into yeah, warlike service, yeah, warlike service. Yeah. Um, so it was a very busy. So I can imagine the lead up to the lead up to that was a very serious kind of you know activity to go through. Yeah, yeah, I remember a lot of uh, time up at high range, um, a lot of late nights around Labrack Barracks um, yep. doing. You know, night nav, um, you know, section attacks, all like. To be honest, we had a, like my platoon, three platoon had some really good uh, NCOs, some good corporals um, that really um, sort of knew what they were doing. So ma- made sure we were all prepared. Actually, yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I was up in um, three brigade then as a sergeant. I commissioned in two thousand three, and then um, we went across the Sol- Solomon Islands on the first push. So yeah, the, like, you know the whole the whole of three brigade was in bloody war mode. You know, yeah. two RER going to Solomon Islands, one RER rotating into Timor. Like it was a very focused time to be up there. There was no fucking around in, in uh, Townsville at that time. No, that's right. Yeah, it was actually funny you mentioned Solomon's because I was on leave, um, about to commence at four RER, and um, and I saw on the news that my old company was actually in Solomon Islands. I was just like, oh wow, that's where I'd be if I was still in in one RER, sort yeah. of. You know, but yeah, I'd. Had no idea at the time what was about to happen in the army, but you know, spe- uh, especially so command in the in the sort of coming years. But yeah, well, that's cool. where you and I met down there, and I still remember that once when I was um, down the, on the weather coast, uh, Huey came in and hand me, handed me a yellow envelope, and that, and that yellow envelope was my posting order down to the old four area at that time. So yeah, at the end of two thousand three is when I got down there. So yeah, let's let's fast forward to that. What did you think? Um, why did you decide to jo- go ahead and sort of apply for commando selection training? Yeah, a few reasons. Uh, I th- I think after that Timor trip, uh, it was really in me to, you know, brought out the professionalism and it's like, no, actually, I really love this job. Like, to me, it was, you know, a bit of fun, nothing too seriously. You know, I was only sort of 18 still at the time, um, actually 19 in Timor. So, um, yeah, so for me, it was, yeah, the Timor trip really sort of brought out the professional sort of ethos, I suppose. And then I was like, well, coming back to Lavrak Barracks after the deployment, it was more of a case of me going, I actually don't want to stay here because, you know, they'll forecast and, you know, what's going on next year and they'll name and all the exercise. And I was like, we just did that last year. And it's like, yeah. yeah how no, fucked are <laughs> exercises when you've been on operations? You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, we're doing that again this year or next year and the year after. I was like, uh, I'm not okay. That. And I was just thinking, wow, I'm going to have to change something. And, um, yeah, in our platoon, everyone's um, you know pretty fit, uh, most guys anyway. And then it was like a few of the other guys had already gone down and done the SF um, or you know at, by then uh, SFET the entry test. Um, yeah, but yeah, but also the um, CTC uh, and passed. So look, you know, a, a few guys from the other platoons and stuff, and so hitting hitting them up, hit, um, you know, asking them about you know what their experience was yeah. and I thought you know what well, I'm, I'm going to give this a crack and actually never thought I was going to get in to be honest but yeah yeah when did you land down at Holsworthy because we did the we did the selection course in the back end of 04 when did you get down there it would have been around July 2004 yeah yep yeah June July mid year yep and yeah. yeah what was that like when you first got down there and like had you been to Holsworthy before no no we oh, I remember going for a run and it was, it was winter Sydney and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a brizzy boy, and then coming from Townsville too. <laughs> I was actually going for a run, and I was like, Man, "Coldest like, weekend in Sydney ever." ever. <laughs> I was like, "How do actually people go out and run in this? Like yeah. in the mornings?" And I was like, well, "You've got no fucking choice. Get out there." And I was like, "Oh shit!" And Holdsworth is a cold prick of a joint it too. Is, yeah. It's nowhere yeah. near the coast. It gets fucking freezing out. They're not yeah. quite as cold as Canberra, but yeah, you get yeah. The, you get the picture right. So no, you'd made you'd, you'd made that decision. Making cupboards is not for you anymore. Fuck that. <laughs> Hanging out and doing exercises every year is not for you. We're not going to do that. But now you've got that 
that fire in your belly and you're going down to to sort of start looking at you know going into the SF space and, and that yep. sort of stuff like what was the mental shift for you like was it was there a do you remember a specific time in or a specific moment action you know a decision point in your life where you where you just said fuck this I'm, I'm going to do this I'm not going to hang out anymore yeah it was before the SFTF um, or uh, the barrier test back yep. then yeah it was it was really a a focused effort. And there was a big group of us too, especially from one RIR and two RIR. Um, you know, everyone's on the similar mindset. You know, we don't want to be doing the same thing every year, yep. year in, year out. Timor, you know, some people have done two trips to Timor already back then, yep. some of the senior digs. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like that, yeah, professional attitude was like, no, I'll actually, I love this job and I want, want to get serious at it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a crack. Let's step it up a couple of notches. Yeah, and, then, and, and yeah, that it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just reminded me, we were having lunch downstairs about the first time we met. Take our listeners through that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at that stage, because we, the guys from, I know from one and two RIR, uh, we'd, we got down there early. And so, you know, before the actual, you know, CTC started, and we were doing smash PT sessions every day, like, you know, hour and a half, two hour sessions sometimes. And, um, and it was on the first or second day with the new PTs that, yeah, is when I ran into you, Robbie. Um, it was actually my first experiences uh, seeing a, um, a, a PSO transferred, from, obviously, from being a sergeant to a, to a captain. So, um, yeah, it sort of stood out to me. Um, yeah, so what I was you say to me downstairs, you're like, what's this old bloke doing here? He's <laughs> old, older than the rest of us. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I was 32. <laughs> well, yeah. for, for a captain anyway, like yeah. it was like, hey, he's a captain, and he, you know, he's, yeah, well, obviously, you're, you're a sergeant beforehand. When I an initial, um, you know, experience, I was sort of like, it stands out, you know, especially when you're in PT session, not much verbal communication except for what's going on, like, you know, I pick up this bloody ammo box, or you know, let's, you know carry things in a you know, certain perspective to make sure no one does their backing kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but that was just my initial thoughts. But, yeah, and then yeah. I, I think we did we did the whole Rio together, right? Yeah, we did the whole Rio together. Massive. Yeah. All the amphib training, amphib, urban yeah, training, yeah. everything. Yeah. Because back then it was essentially the Rio got split in half if I – because there were so many of us because obviously, you know. Bu- building the capability. Yeah, exactly, sort of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, I think some of the – some courses – the whole Rio was split in half, but yeah, I remember being on Amphib with you, yeah, and, mm. and um, Urban as well. I think Urban as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah, yeah. 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 Mate, we know, we know each other a lot, so yeah, 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 um, yeah. And then I went, and, I went and did rotation one August two thousand five, and then your trip to Afghan was you said rotation three. So what are we talking? Pretty much like mid two thousand six. Um, yeah, just after Anzac Day two thousand and six, I think. Yeah, I'll call that mid two thousand six. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've already shared my experiences about getting to Afghan for the first time. What were your experiences when you first got off the C seventeen at TK, or well, however you landed? Yeah, that, yeah, it was a, um, a Hercules into TK at night, and I just yeah remembered uh, getting off and yeah just seeing the mountains. It was just the first thing that stood out. It was just you know. Like you know, the biggest mountain I'd seen would have been Mount Tambourine before. So like, <laughs> and you know, t- thank you for all of our listeners up at Mount Tambourine. <laughs> yeah. Love you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mount Tambourine. This is the second best podcast in Southeast Queensland. Remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, after that, it, it, you know, Tambourine Hill is is probably more of a uh, precise term for it. After you know, f- uh, experiencing the the Hindu Tambourine Knoll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, yeah, just the mountain stood out. It was just incredible. Yeah. Um, and and the the rolling moon like uh, features as well, um, yeah, I, it, was, it was incredible. I, I was I couldn't believe it was you know I was pinching myself. It mm. was what you trained for, you know. And and at that stage, it was Afghan was so new that you know no one really sort of forecasted. Well, I know I didn't um, of going over to you know, obviously Iraq was going on, but Afghan, you know, the regiment, you know, uh, the Perth guys went there in two thousand and one. But before that, it was you know rotation one and two, but it was all re- all really new still, like. No, the general public, Australian public, really had no idea mm. we were even over there. Like, yeah. not many people had heard of Orisgan Province or even yeah. CK or Camp mm. Russ or anything like no, that. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So we obviously we were sharing a compound, um, FE Alpha and FE Bravo, respectfully. So, what was that? What was that like when you saw those guys walking around? You know, the the friendly rivalry, uh, <laughs> shall we say, that existed between between the units. But certainly to have uh, big brother and little brother in the same working in the same bedroom almost is uh, was interesting in itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I remember, yeah, being uh, being in awe to start off with, like you know the whole sort of um, uh, reputation and stuff, and 
Uh, we actually flew in via Perth from Sydney on the way there, so we sort of got introduced to a few guys jumping on the flight on the way over. But um, yeah, that was it. W- it was different back then. Like um, yeah, uh, it was all vehicle mounted. Yep. Um, in two thousand and six, and I didn't I didn't jump in a helicopter for the whole trip. Yeah, it was wow. all vehicle um, based, uh, and that was yeah. It, w- it was a big trip. That was yeah. We were, we were driving around pretty much all of Oregon, and um, yeah, at that stage mainly. Mirambad and Chora Valley. Uh, that was that was a big sort of point of focus for that trip. Had the IEDs just started then? Because they weren't luckily for our trip, and they had that they the Afghans had not cottoned on that you can fucking blow vehicles up when they're driving around everywhere. <laughs> we we had the bush we had the bushmasters come over and we were the first FE to sort of trial them. Yeah. I remember hanging out the back of one of those things on the Mac Fifty Eight, getting fucking bounced around <laughs> like a jelly bean. But you know, <laughs> well, you guys would have been bush, bushmasters as well. I take it. Yeah, yeah, SRVs and bushmasters for um for um bush rangers. Yeah, um, except for obviously the Perth guys who were doing their LRPVs. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, um, it was yeah, it was uh, at that stage. Yeah, it was it was the wild wild west. It really was. Like it was, you know, every trip that I did. It, the battle space evolved and changed every single time. Any hairy moments for you on that first rotation worth mentioning? Um, yeah, there was a lot actually. Because Op Perth, I mean, Op Perth um, has been you know um, pretty documented and uh, people have spoken about that a lot. Also, um, you know, Cansoff DA, where um, you know, um, you know, I think it was yeah, FE, or I don't think it's actually called FE Alpha, FE Bravo back then, but um, the SAS guys had a had a mission. Um, Got called off last minute because of the ISR. The um, the weather wasn't too good, and then the Canadians ended up JDF two ended up uh, taking the lead assaulting role for that job, and us being commandos, we provided the outer cordon, and, and um, yeah, it was like it was it was full on, like it was the whole we got ambushed essentially, um, and took the whole night to um, to fight our way out. Um, that was the first time at that stage that this. Uh, Spectre gunship crew went Winchester and Bingo on the same operation. Like yeah, it was, wow. yeah, it was. It that was means they're out of ammo and out of fuel. Sorry, yeah. we got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it like, was, no, 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 no. Yeah. I need you overhead still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and Task Force Brown, where the um, the CH 47, the two Australian crews, um, yeah, watching them come in on finals, picking up the Cansoft guys, because we were in Bushmasters, they were the half or the, um, you know, helicopter assault force. Yeah. And watching those guys doing break contacts onto the to choppers. Whilst the uh, the enemy was firing pretty much machine guns onto the choppers, which was like incre- like I just I can still see it like under night vision goggles, all the um, the spectacles and the um, you know the rounds going past, and it was then when they lifted off just because we couldn't fire because they were just in front of us, and um, as soon as that happened, yeah, we were hooking in, and yeah, we didn't get out until till daybreak the next day. It was yeah, that was probably about ten o'clock at night. Now yeah, that's a long way from Timor. That's, yeah, a, long, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a long, long way from doing bloody exercises up up in high range. I bet you really felt like you're in the army by now. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was <laughs> loving, but you know, that's what you joined the military for, yeah. and um, you know, you, you especially SF, like um, you, you know, you, you want, you know, I suppose uh, as a young person, you, sometimes you have got to be careful what you wish for, but you want to be tested, you want to be tried, you want to be challenged, and um, and yeah, it was. We, we definitely got what I asked for. Um, definitely on those trips and trips afterwards as well yeah during that for that rotation where you started working with the SSR blokes was that did that kind of spark your interest at that point like I know you said you had there was kind of like you had a, a bit of awe there was an aura around those you know those guys as they were walking mm. around that you know that base with strutting strutting you know you don't walk as an SAS operator <laughs> <laughs> apologies gents <laughs> um at that stage I was interested but mate I was to be honest I was just happy where I was yeah like I was I lived and breathed it, loved the guys around me. Like, Brett Wood was actually my team commander. Yeah, so right. he was an incredible um, human being, but also tactical commander as well. Like, the stuff that, you know, I've got stories about him in Op Perth, just, you know, because most of us guys were young and he was, well, he was probably only sort of late 20s at that stage. But, um, yeah, he, he, he really was sort of, you know, you talk about people in their, you know, your formative years as a, a leader in combat, and he was he was the guy that I was just taking notes off the whole time. Yeah. You know, like he was incredible. Yeah. Did you do another SOTG trip with commandos before? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I did. Um, so that was with Delta Company, and I deployed again with Delta Company in two thousand and eight. Yep. Yep. Started early early two thousand eight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just missed you. I got there at late two thousand eight after I said goodbye to this guy Duntroon, and uh, went over there for eight nine. So two thousand eight and two thousand nine. So yeah. Um, what was that trip like? Anything of note? 
Um, again, uh, there was still... With an evolving battle space, like evolving you said. Evolving battle space, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the IDs because uh, that's when first it started coming towards the end of that trip. I mean, we were, we were um, you know, sort of rolling around in SRVs and Bushmasters still and doing a lot of... Like, I've never walked so much in any other trip other than that trip. I mean, we were... We were doing that many jobs and walking in and out, and um, it was awesome. Um, yeah, but so we were driving around most of the trip. It was only towards the end of that deployment where the helo started to come in, and that was right. that was a, and that for me signified um, around the end of two thousand and eight. Um, yeah, like a, a bit of a change in you know, the old um, Australian contingents were starting to get a bit of helos now instead of you know being ignored essentially because of you know the reputation, the jobs that we. Um, were doing and the effect and the impact they were having on the ground in Oregon and um, and you know even sort of provinces south in Kandahar and, and west it really had a positive impact and I think a lot of the um, U.S. commanders really sort of saw that and started you know giving us a lot more um, uh, platforms to support yeah. the missions that we were doing because it was um, it, it, it was it was yeah it was great stuff but yeah it was it was, it was missions of importance as well. So that's so we're talking so from two thousand and three. Correct me if I'm wrong. To two thousand and eight, we're talking. Is that four trips for you? Ah, uh, three, three. Yep. Okay, so three, three in five years. Yeah. Yep. I knew the oh, ideas. Timor as well. Sorry. I, uh, so mm. yeah, I, I only did six weeks in the. I was supposed to be there for three months, but in two thousand and seven, yeah, went back over into Timor, um, and I actually got called back early to go on the Delta Company trip. So yeah, chuck a little six-week Timor and I loved it. I didn't want to leave, but um, yeah, so <laughs> technically four, but yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't want to do five years there. No, yeah. what the <laughs> fuck yeah, would you yeah. do that? <laughs> well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that earlier. Yeah, that was incredible, yeah. We certainly knew the um, the IED gig started to happen because um, Mick Fussell got, you know, stepped mm. on an ID, unfortunately, and um, his brother was still going through Duntroon. So when I was at Duntroon, at, you know, this is like November 2008, you know, that sort of kicked off. And then, you know, soon after that, um, Brett Till got hit when I, by an ID. Damien Tomlinson's ID happened. So yeah. I was working in the in the headquarters at Kandahar at that time. So I was like, fuck me, what is going on with this battle space? So I was oh, there yeah. with, with Matt Brennan as the CEO and I was his, I was his S5. So, yeah, yeah I gotcha. sort of saw, saw it all unfolding. Yeah, well, that 2008 trip uh, was when we lost Marksy. Yeah, and on that cont- um, that ambush yeah, and fire, the guys got shot. So it was, um, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was full on that one. Yeah, that was... Um, yeah, just a, um, the first the first uh, friendly KIA that I've, I'd had experienced on on, on a trip. Um, yeah, we lost some, or you know, guys that you knew and you were close to anyway. On the yeah. 2006 trip we, um, in Op Perth, there was a US um, US range or US General Infantry. Yeah, he got uh, he got killed, but yeah, we were actually pretty lu- very lucky on that trip to not have any of friendly you know, KIAs. But yeah. In the two thousand and six, uh, two thousand sorry, two thousand and eight trip was when uh, yeah we lost um, Marksy yeah that's Corporal Jason Marks. So you've you've obviously you've had an opportunity to, to sort of go over come back go over come back a few times and you know you've described that the the battle space is changing pretty dramatically and, and pretty rapidly across a, you know a, a spectrum of sort of of capabilities you know and, and actions that the enemy are taking. Were we responding to that in a way that was commensurate with that change? Like were we having a, a short learning loop and being able to implement different kinds of strategies, different kinds you know procedures to, to kind of counter that um I, th- I i mean i was never in the headquarters area to be totally honest i was only you know um at the tactical level yep but from from my experience it was really we're trying to do our best as in sure we didn't have our own assets over there so it's always you're leaning on the u.s support and they're all you know they've got a whole theater to look after mm. and so that's what i mean by you know it took a few years to build up, I suppose, the contemporary reputation of Australian forces, Australian SF forces in particular from Vietnam because it hadn't really been, especially special forces, deployed for, you know, decades and decades. So, yeah, we had always have had, you know, Australia's always had incredible reputation as soldiers and fighting in, you know, faraway lands and um, on, on battle, in battles and that. But um, I think contemporary was, yeah, we those first years of, um, you know, of Afghan really kind of cemented that, to the US anyway, that, mm. you know, we haven't changed and we, we can get amongst it and enjoy it and, and are incredibly good at it. That was actually my, my main role uh, working in Kandahar as the plans officer was to get all those assets and, like, look forward-leaning. Yep. That's where I first met Damo. He was um, part of a US Special Forces contingent working in the um, bomb residue and human biometrics area and obviously the, what they were taking off target, feeding back into our targeting cycle to then sort of to, for us to plan missions for you guys yeah so gotcha. yeah you know getting assets and just getting better access to targeting a few other u.s 
special access programs were starting to emerge as well. So it yeah. was a very evolving battle space, mate, for sure. Oh, it was, yeah. And yeah. every trip was completely different and, yeah. So when did um, when did you first start, start really seriously thinking about, all right, I now want to strut around like those other blokes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was – yeah, it was kind of on that 2000 – after that 2008 trip, um, I'd already done a um, posting on TAG. Um, so, yeah, for me it was – to be honest, I never thought I'd be in the commandos, let alone, you know, mm. um, in the, you know, prospects of reaching SASR. So, and then I was like, you know what, I'm this close. I, I think I've got what it takes. Could be wrong. Like, I was never sort of, yeah, I'm going to get in. Rah, rah. I was like, nah, for me, I was like, I'm going to do it once and once only. I was, I was happy at two commando, to be honest. Like, I loved it there. And I would have stayed there for, you know, the rest of my career and been very, very happy. Um, however, I was like, you know what? I'm 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 only about 26, 27 at that stage, and I thought, mate, I think I've I'm in in the running here to actually make it. Um, reporting well, um, loved the job still, was keen as still green, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a crack. And it was actually very hard to leave, to be honest. Like it was looking forward to it, but yeah, because you know, especially the two trips and you know, the Afghan trips and all that. Like the guys, I you know, my platoon and company, we're all tight as you know, as thick as thieves mm. and. Um, yeah, it was, it was actually really hard to leave to um, to go across to Perth. But, um, yeah, it was just a burning desire. I actually didn't like living in Sydney either. I love going to Sydney now and visiting. I think it's an incredible But Me too. Yeah, for me, living in Sydney was like, yeah, just, for some reason, yeah, I was living in the Shire, but then sort of, you know, do, doing the old Heathcote Road route to uh, Holsworthy <laughs> every day. But, um, yeah, for some reason, I never gelled with Sydney. Um, yeah, so that was one of the reasons too. I was in Perth. I'd sort of only been to Perth once, so it was, you know, New things, new adventure, um, and obviously, yeah, never thought that I'd actually be in contention to, to do the SAS selection course, so, yeah. Uh, Mark Wales and also Dan Pronk have written a couple of books, or a book each about their experiences going through the SAS selection course. Talk, yeah. Tell us about that, because you've got the perspective of doing the one we did, and yeah. then you went and did theirs, yours, Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, this, so the CTC, when we did it, that was, you know, I was still – very, I think I had my 21st birthday on the CTC. And, um, yeah, that was – it was a longer course, if I remember correctly, and it was – we did Five SF weeks. weapons yeah. and, like, it was – they've changed it all now. Yeah, like, so um, commando selection and training course. So there's an element of selection and training at, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I think back then it was actually called the CTC, the commando training course. So it was – so obviously it's, you know, two commando now has evolved so much I wouldn't even know what, you know, what um, the – the selection course looks like for commandos now but but back then it was it was it was fairly long it was um, i think either f- five weeks if i'm yep. uh if i remember correctly um so and that was um uh, it was it was it was hard it was, it was like a to be honest it was like a, it was like a hard recon course mm. you know that's what i sort of pictured it as and um except for demarcation that was a ball terror that was like <laughs> That was, so yeah. there's elements of Lucky Dip, elements yeah, of Happy Wanderer, exactly. elements of, you know, because as I was reading the, the books, I'm like, oh, yeah, we did that, we did that, we did that. So there's a lot of similarities of it, but obviously a different level over there. There's, you know, I don't remember standing there in the nude in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've done that before, RT, just <laughs> Sorry, not during yeah. selection. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, yeah. So, so, yeah, selection was like, you know, three weeks over there. And, um, yeah, I felt like that, that was a ball. That was, yeah, by far the um, probably – the second hardest thing I've ever done, to be honest. Yeah. What, what made it? What made it so difficult, mate? Like, obviously, it's a very, very complex beast. What were those elements to to that? You know, those phases that you went through that made it the most difficult for you. Um, I remember the first sort of five days, just the lack of sleep too. Yeah. You're always on the go, and um, yeah, when waking up at night, PT sessions, and that was happening on CTC as well. But um, I think uh, the regiment. I think at that stage had had 50 years of history, you know. Uh, when I went and did the commando training course, relatively young unit, yep. um, obviously when you're not including Z Special Force or Commando, so yeah, all of that course. type of thing, but uh, contemporary, um, as that they still had a lot of things to iron out and it's improved dramatically from when it was, when I went through, when we went through. Um, but yeah, I think just the, the process of it at the time, yeah, it, it was it was a yeah, to say it again, a ball terror. It was, um, it was full on. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's no other word for like. It was like, oh, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Said oh, no one ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many aspects to it. Um, I mean, you just you behind the eight ball the whole time. 
Like, yeah. there's never a time where you sort of, you know, come up for a, you know, breath of fresh air and just go, no, nah, I think I've think i got this, you know, I'm yeah. going well. It's like, no, nah, you just, you're on the back foot the whole time uh, in every way, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. Like, it's just, yeah, the whole SF thing is just all of that, really. But um, the only one great thing about, that I really sort of enjoyed about the SAS selection was, um, was the uh, Happy Wanderer. Was a navigation because they left you alone. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> mate. Yeah, yeah. So that was we actually, you know, they've changed it all the time, uh, obviously for good reasons. But um, we did it at Sterling Ranges, and I love the mountains, you know. Um, so yeah, so doing the, the navigation there was a really a, a a good break from getting beasted and not even over there. So you don't get yelled at as much. It's all side running, but you're on the go the whole time. You yeah. know, it's the first time that you're by yourself and you can kind of, you know, you're up to, it's up to your own esteem to keep motivated and mm. get, you know, make sure you're, you're, you're ticking all the boxes along the way for the, for the five days, you know, and, and that was like, and being in the Sterling Ranges too, you have the scene, the scenes there, like the incredible landscape where you just, you can, yeah, you hooking, you know, you're carrying a lot of stuff and, you know, you it's, it's not easy, but, you know, at the same time when you're sitting and you pull up at night and you're having a meal, you can sit back and look at the beautiful mountains and that. And just those little moments, you just like, you know, it, you gather strength from that, you know. And there's a lot to be said about that, mate. That's a, yeah. such a great, great perspective. Yeah. He's like, this is fucked, this is fucked. Actually, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's slightly less fucked. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. And the Hindu Kush, yeah, over in Afghan was like every time you just looked up and you went, wow, these incredible mountains. It was, um, it was impressive. Tell us about the feeling of getting presented your Sandy Barrow versus your green one. Or was it similar? Um, yeah, well, to be honest, when we got – well, we never actually got handed our Sherwood Green Beret. Um, I, I can't remember having a Beret parade for that, which is – I know they've changed that a lot now. Um, so there was no actual – like, oh, yeah, you're Beret now, um, get into it kind of thing. Over there, yeah, it was um, – yeah, had family fly over. It was a big event. Um, yeah, had I think at the time, yeah, Sokos came across, uh, presented our berets um, uh, to us, and yeah, it was an incredible feeling. Um, it was a long time after, like eighteen months later. So it was, mm. you know, a lot has happened. A lot of guys, you know, from selection, you know, have have you know, sort of, uh, well, you know, the culling, I suppose, from selection, and then it doesn't stop there. You know, once you pass selection, you know, there's a whole eighteen months of training. And you know, there's and there's sort of gates, so-called gates that you got to pass through um, to get to the end. And at every stage, there was guys, you know, falling by the wayside. Like it was, it you know, even on the last course, there were guys that were getting booted and RTU'd or returned to unit. Yeah. So it was like, um, yeah, it was a big relief, but also yeah, pretty um, incredible feeling to you know, sort of be able to graduate um, with the Sandy Barrow, yeah. And that and that first time that you put it on, like, did you feel different? Like, was it <laughs> was it kind of like was it kind of like <laughs> Superman going into the phone box, mate? Is this a setup or spinning around and flying mate? back out? No, it was just just no, take here's the thing: you're you're the only guy we've had on here who's been in that circumstance before, and mm. you yeah. know, literally every single other listener's probably even thought about, oh, wonder how I'd Absolutely. go doing that. You know, so it's a genuine yeah. question. Okay, what what yeah. is the feeling like having that berry on? Oh, it is awesome. It's, it's unreal. And uh, I remember, you know, the CEO at the time, um, he actually, he, met, he touched on this in one of his briefs. He said, um, or his, his speeches in front of all the families, um, he said, okay, guys, I'll give you the, the weekend to strut around like peacocks. Um, but Monday morning, your beret's in the bottom bottom drawer and, and you're on the tools, you're at work, you know. So, um, yeah, enjoy yeah, this right. time. But, yeah, Monday morning, um, you're going to be SAS operators and, um, yeah, that's when the work starts. That's so sage like, advice. I was about to say, it's such an SASR thing to do, which is like, you know, fucking, yeah, great, well done. This is an amazing feat that you've, you've sort of, you know, overcome. Well done, but we've still got a job to do. Yeah. And that, that job doesn't end. Yeah, yeah. And, and humility is a principle of SOCOM as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yep, stewardship, isn't the old saying? Yeah, yeah. It's ownership, not ownership, stewardship. Yeah, yeah. stewardship, yeah. yeah. Um, how many trips did you do Afghan? Four all up. So I did another with, two. With, yes, oh, yes. So, yeah, so four all up, two with two commando and two with SASR. Yeah, and there would have been a few more helicopter um, operations by then, doing more strike targeting missions. Exactly, yeah. yeah so that tell was us about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so that was, that was incredible. That was... You know, the, the 2011 trip, which we were on actually, Robbie, yeah. Yeah, I was um, the upside then. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that trip was special in a lot of ways, but um, it was the ops you always dream of, to be honest. 
They, and and it's up until then, no one had ever done it before. Short notice, high Short, tempo, yeah. targeting cycle, launch yeah. at night, go again the next day. Had all the assets. Um, some mornings you'd you know you'd launch um, at you know six thirty seven o'clock in the morning. You go do it, you know, you um, to a uh, you know target compound, and you'd be on the ground for two or three hours, and then you'd be back in time for lunch. Hit the gym in the Arvo. It was like it was like wow, this is like again a pinching yourself kind of thing, like. Australian soldiers actually doing this targeting stuff, like you know, um, counter leadership targeting operations is and supported with American um, uh, airframes is just you know incredible. We feel very privileged and special to be a part Full of it. Full suite of ISR stuff, t- two that, or three days pattern of life workups, you name it. All there. of that stuff, yeah. And it was um, being at the pointy end, being supported by everyone um, in the the SOC and all that was just yeah. It was it was really the high end. And um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you'd be back before lunch, but then sometimes you wouldn't come back for two or three days. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you never. And that was part of the appeal. Was it was like. You never knew what was going to happen on the ground. You know, you could you do on the planning, you have all the intelligence, all that type of thing. But then, you know, what's the old saying? The uh, no no plan outlasts uh, outlasts the first, first shot. shot. And you know, it was, sometimes it it was like that. Sometimes it wasn't. You know, so. But I remember um, on that trip, twenty eleven trip, it was luckily it was um, in um, in summer, uh, the fighting season. So there's a few times where we got stuck overnight. You know, had an Afghan blanket and we were just hiding out. You know, sort of chilling out to the daybreak, either because. You know the weather was 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 not permitting for the helos to come in, or the tactical picture on the on the ground was didn't you know there was too too hairy, or um, you know the the, um, the individual that you're going for was um, you know still hadn't been um, sort of taken care of or found, so you were still en route to try and finish the mission. Mate, I know that um, that some of our listeners out there now are going to have, particularly the young, the really young ones that have got their career ahead of them. I know that they're going to have a battle boner listening to uh, <laughs> listening to your motivational <laughs> stories, mate. Even Daniel behind the counter, he's like, he's like this is fucking grold. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's go. Let's fast forward. So thank you for sharing all that stuff, mate. It's bloody awesome. No but worries, yeah. that would have no doubt taken a toll on anybody. Yeah. Tell us about when you start. When did you start to think you're like fuck? this is starting to take a toll on me physically, emotionally, mentally, all that sort of stuff. Because we're not, we're not reptiles. We're not super soldiers. We're not, we're made out of flesh and bone and we, we know we actually have feelings. Um, yeah. Take us through that. And then obviously when did, when did transition start to come into play? Yeah. So it was, it was on my last trip to Afghanistan, my fourth trip, uh, 2013, the last couple of months, that was a six month trip, that one. And um, the last couple of months, I, I, I knew something wasn't right. Like, mm. I wasn't sort of just, you know, cruising along, loving it. Um, still doing the job, still professional, never sort of, you know, took any shortcuts, but had this, um, you know, big anxiety as well. Um, and just thought, yeah, I'd like, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to some time off after this trip because, as, as you do with every trip, yeah. but um, that one especially because, um, yeah, um, I just, yeah, like I said, I had a lot of anxiety. Um, I just felt differently. And um, didn't know what the hell was going on and just was looking forward to some time off after that trip. And that was sort of the last couple of months of, of my fourth trip. So were you, were you kind of aware of, of the impact on your mental health space and, and going through that, like physical as well as mental? Or was it kind of one of those things that really snuck up on you and you were just like, what the fuck is it? What's going on? Yeah, it snuck up on me. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I'd, you know, you always hear about stress and yeah. anxiety and stuff and, you know, like, yeah, you... I think it's changed a lot these days where, you know, people are taught to recognise it or, you know, the, the warning signs. But back then it was literally like I'd, I'd, I'd have trouble standing up in front of a group and giving a mm. brief because the anxiety was so hard, like so high. And um, so luckily I didn't have to do that all the time in the role that I was doing, but it was, um, yeah, it, it was, yeah, it, it was a shock for me because, you know, I'd, I'd I'd essentially just ran off off youth the whole time, yeah. and at this stage I was twenty, now twenty nine, going to turn thirty, you know, not far off thirty, and just was like, yeah, wow, like actually, I think I know what people mean by stress now, because back before then, obviously, there's induced stress and all that, but you know, I'd never actually felt it uh, affect me that much until you know, late years and years, you know, a good probably 12, 12 years in the army, you know. Yep. Mate, that that symptom. Sorry to jump Go in there. No, too, this, mate. It, you, I'm resonating with this yeah. so much. As yeah, well. me too. That that symptom, particularly, um, you know, that you just went through about one of the first indicating indicating or warning signs for you was, you know, not being able to get up and present in in front of people. You know, that's that you would be 
blown away by the amount of people that have used that as a reference point. Like mm. that's the first warning sign that that not all of us take, right? It's it's a first indicator that shit something's going on, but we don't necessarily go through the process of digesting what that means. But it's I'm so glad that we're getting a chance to share this opportunity with our listeners to be able to to hear your story. Yeah, learn from my mistakes. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, someone of your caliber. Exactly, like if it happens mate. to you, it's going to happen to the majority exactly. of other people, mate. That's what Luke's saying. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it just it just resonates. Like both RT and I got goosebumps when you were saying mm. that 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 when you got to that point. Like, tell us about sort of. You know, did you did you start to go down the path of recognition, or were you like most of us morons and sort of just went right? I'll just swallow this and and fucking keep trudging forward. Don't yeah. tell anyone. Yeah, Don't exactly. tell anyone. Yeah, yeah, hide that, it away. Exactly that. Yeah, um, I'd seen. Well, most people in the military, you know, the, you have seen people, you know, sort of um, fall along the wayside when they yeah. stick their hand up for mental health reasons, and um, you know, it's it's kind of. You know, people are so career-driven and there's, you know, there's even, like, I think in 2010 there was an ADF mental health survey and there's five barriers to care, which is, you know, why people don't stick their hands up. And one of them is, you know, they want to deploy, um, they want yeah. to go, you know, get promoted, they don't want to um, be ostracised. And there's another couple, I can't sort of remember off the top of my head, but, you know, it's documented the reasons why, you know, people or, you know, soldiers, airmen, sailors don't put their hand up uh, and ask for help because, you know, there's, there's, there's reasons there and... And I was the same, you know, like I, um, I hit it um, and, yeah, I, I hadn't probably another sort of four, maybe four or five years until, um, I, you know, down the, four or five years down the track that I actually sort of stuck my hand up and started going through the process of getting it recognised, yeah. Was it, was it sticking your hand up, mate, or did the wheels really start to rattle? Like, was it oh, the wheels, yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, that's the point. It's yeah. like, I can't keep this in yeah, any exactly. longer. Yeah, exactly. And I, I left... Um, SASR because of that like and no one really knew no one at the time um, that I was you know had these mental health issues and it was uh, I didn't even like to be honest I didn't know what was going on I was still figuring it out I had these symptoms and I was trying to manage it and that's sort of where the sort of the part two I suppose comes out of my story is is the end of sorry the, um, yeah is tw in 2013 because you know I got back from that deployment uh, and just like had the time off that I was really sort of uh, needed and what I still wasn't good. Yeah. I couldn't shake it off. I was like usually, you know, three or four weeks at home, chilling out. Yeah. But then I got back to work and I was like, man, I'm, I'm still not good. Like yeah. what the hell's going on? I, no, I, I need – something needs to happen. And it was um, – it was – and that's when sort of, you know, I really relied on the yoga. And that was yeah. sort of going back um, to 2007 after my first – trip to afghan i had all this tight you know tight neck tight back because i was sitting in the gun capola a long time behind the mark 19 um great trip but yeah getting uh, thrown around yeah. like a jelly bean yeah 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 <laughs> went winchester on that bad boy a few times it was, that was incredible yeah but you know um gold tops yeah 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 exactly yeah that <laughs> was yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um but um yeah so but i actually got introduced to yoga back in 2007 by a fellow commando and um yeah, he, he just said, because I was complaining to him and about my neck pain and you know, my back because it was affecting my shooting at the range, you know, my grouping in zero, five metres, 25 metres or 15 metres, all this type of thing and and um, affecting my sleep, my recovery, all this. Mm. And, I, yeah, I was still young, you know, early 20s. And um, and he goes, oh, just, you know, do you want to come try a Bikram yoga session? And I was like, Bikram? I think I think I've heard of yoga, but what's Bikram? And he was like, oh, yeah, hot yoga. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come down. If you reckon it's going to be good, I'll, I'll give it a crack. And um, did 90 minutes, you know, 26 postures, two breathing exercises. It was it was like I walked out of there just going. <laughs> clapped out. <laughs> clapped out, but like, holy shit, I can move my back and my yeah. neck. I don't have pain in it yeah. anymore. And and even then it was not because, you know, the stress at that stage, I wasn't really feeling it, you know, like as in, you know, you always stress out, you know, you don't want to let anyone down or, you know, if you're getting breathed down the neck by, you know, an instructor or something, yeah, you stress out in those moments. But yeah. you could always bounce back the next day, fresh as, you know yeah. what I mean? It was like, then it was only physical for the yoga. So I was like, okay, yeah, so this yoga thing works physically, you know. I, you know, obviously doing a physically demanding job to, uh, to you know, to, to put it politely. And um, so it was, I was just to go to that all the time, you know. When I could obviously, you know, you go away in deployment or on exercise or um, on course and there'd be times where, where I didn't do it. As much as I could when I was in Sydney, um, I'd, you know, even in Perth too, I'd, I'd make sure 
um, but when my back was stiff or whatever, I'd get in a, a Bikram's yoga session. And, um, and that was, to me, that was a game changer physically. Mm-hmm. Like that was, um, yeah, just a, a kind of a go-to that I'd always do to, um, you know, prevent my spine and my neck from hurting. Obviously, it's going to hurt in regards to when you carry 50 kilos, but afterwards, you know, after a course or a, um, uh, you know, a um, deployment or, or whatever, you know, I'd make sure I'd get in my yoga in conjunction with my other training. Yep. Mm. What was the, so it's kind of a, like yoga is not obviously left field. Like there's a lot of supporting evidence around, around the benefits of, you know, yoga, Bikram yoga and the like for, for physical and mental. Was there a was there a community of, of acceptance, or was there kind of like you know amongst the blokes was kind of like what <laughs> no, the I fuck hit are it. you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah. so so in that twenty thirteen, I, I actually went to India for four months, took long yeah, service, wow. and went to India, and uh, yeah, so I told everyone I was going rock climbing, like I hit it from everyone. Yep. Like if I went in, if I went in there and said, <laughs> "Oh guys, I'm taking long service to to India to do yoga." People just been looked at me and gone, okay, <laughs> A, you're a fucking weirdo, but two, what's wrong with you? Something yeah. going on. And I didn't want anyone to know. Yeah. And I didn't want anyone to know that I was going over there for the reasons that I was, was to try yeah. and make sure I could handle, you know, this sort of volcano of symptoms, mental health symptoms sort of bubbling up inside yeah. of me. Yeah. I too have done yoga for, for quite a while. Not for not for a while, but I did it for about a two-year period and it really, really made a huge difference for me. It, it, it fixed my PTSD and my anxiety and all that sort of stuff should go back to it for other reasons now um but for those that don't know india is the the birthplace of yoga quite frankly you know and it's really really cool that you went over there to like get access to the grassroots of it um let's skip forward from your transition because i want to speak the last 20 minutes or so about what you're doing now you know because you're effectively run your own business where you're helping people with you know yoga techniques and other sort of breathing techniques and stuff so like, like when you eventually separated from the military and everything like just tell us what that felt like when you first became a civvy and you weren't <laughs> in anymore like i know you did some time over in perth in the army reserve unit and we'll put like the link to your webpage on there where people can read your little bio and stuff geordie to compliment what you've spoken about now um but yeah tell us about what it felt first felt like to be a civvy and like how did you find the current business that you run yeah um yeah, I suppose there's so much there to unpack. Um, but like anyone, you know, transitioning out, it's a, it's a, um, almost, almost a known unknown. <laughs> you know, yeah. you hear about transition. You know, you you hear about people that have done it, saying it's not easy. Um, so in that sense, it's a known. But still, there's so much unknown about it. You know what you experience, and you know, change. It's different for everyone. You know in so many different ways and the veteran space is so complex for those reasons you know there's so many areas of someone's life that um you know that need attention now because essentially you haven't been watering the gardens of areas of your life for your whole military career and if someone has then um yeah they're definitely the minority i love that mate that is Mm. such a great analogy we're actually going to do a special series of podcasts about transition only so you know i'm noting uh, the stories that you were both telling me downstairs over lunch, we'll definitely get you back in to talk about that. So we'll go narrow and deep on the transition another another time. Okay, yep. Sorry, but then yeah. let's let's talk about and I, only because I just want to dedicate some time now, mate, about yeah. what you're doing now and like the the support and help you're providing as a business owner back to the veteran community. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, sorry, I go on a bit of a tangent. Huh? That's, yeah, that's, that's good, mate. I'm loving it. <laughs> and I, you know, I know that everyone's listening right now, going, "Fuck, I can't wait to hear about all that stuff." Because yeah. everyone who's in the military listening to these podcasts, guess what? I got some news for you. You're going to transition one day, you and it's either going to be good, bad, or really, really shit. Let's try and <laughs> not have it the last one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so now I uh, run my own ABN uh, Qigong with Jordan. So essentially, Qigong, it's like Tai Chi, um, slow, conscious movement, um, similar to yoga. But because I was doing so much of the yoga, I actually my body was after you know a long career in the military, I couldn't actually do yoga. So that was like, especially the style that I was doing at the time. Um, so then I had to move on to Qi Gong. And the Qi Gong was like a game changer for me. It was soft, slow and gentle, pretty much like nothing I'd ever done before. As in, <laughs> I've never been slow, soft or gentle in my whole career, you know, in the military. So it provided that balance, yep. uh, exactly what my mind and my body needed. And it was, um, and yeah, so the, the, the tangible effects and experience that those practices gave me, you know, formed... Um, or made me, you know, want to pass the feelings and um, the experiences I've had from these practices, the Qigong and yoga, to other veterans and, you know, corporate um, and, you know, obviously um, other clients as well. So so that's what I'm doing now is the Qigong with Jordan is is running 
um, different classes, workshops uh, for essentially, you know, I, I love, love working with the veterans because I know that that space has got a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, you know, struggling people. And um, so, and you know, I know I can value add massively to that community. So that's what I like to focus on, but I do other sort of corporate charity work as well. Um, but yeah, so the veteran stuff is, uh, is probably the most rewarding for me is to see people that have had long careers in the military. And then, because we're not taught this stuff, you know, we're not, you know, it is getting better, but, um, you know, the whole culture thing of, of you know, recognising what stress is, but not even reckon, you know, having the warning signs, but giving practical solutions yeah. to be able to come back to a state of, of balance or calmness. You know, in talking about sort of physiology or anatomy is, is learning how to um, effectively engage the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, mm. the rest and digest side, because, you know, f- throughout our whole careers, we've been on the go and, you know... Yep for a reason and we love it and we live and breathe it and you know, we wouldn't change it for the world but it's like when you're in an environment and year on year on year course after course deployment after deployment always in that yang always in that state of stimulation or that sympathetic side of the nervous system that has a toll it's not normal for us to um be in that state all the time like our natural state is actually a, a relaxed state it's just that we actually forget how to access our natural state mm-hmm. because we've been driven and and stimulated and on the go for so long. One of the things I love, mate, about when you were, we were talking about this over lunch and we got, we got fairly deep into it and, and sort of some of the things that motivates you, but one of the things that struck a call with me was, you know, talking about you've got all of these tools in your tool belt when somebody comes into you for help and guidance and assistance um, and making an analysis of that person and being able to apply those tools specifically for each individual to get those desired outcomes. Mate, I really love that that approach that you take, the individual approach to, to solving a problem because more often than not, particularly in the veteran space, um, we can we can go back to having that that single solution for people, that single option that's available for somebody that just doesn't work for everybody, mm. right? Yeah, so that's, that's such a yeah. unique approach that you take, mate. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Yeah, it's 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 kind of. I didn't have a choice. I was, you know, I wanted to save my career. I wanted to enjoy my life again. So yep. I felt like I was backed into a corner and and had to had to make some decisions. And regardless of how it looked externally, like your yoga or qigong it's like that was that was your and it's worked and it's paid off mm. so it's like it's actually the right decision but yeah it was a time there it was a lot of unknowns and felt like i was backed into a corner mind and body couldn't really move properly uh because all the injuries and then it's like soft slow and gentle movement and breathing it's like wow it's so simple but it works. It works. Like, Fuck, yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, man, you're <laughs> resonating with our, with our, <laughs> yeah. with our clientele base. Well, to have a lot of impact, you wouldn't think that soft, slow and gentle are the, are the descriptors of having such high impact, but it actually is. Mm. Like it's, you know, it's yes. it's a relaxing of the body, relaxing of the mind. I was talking to you when I was doing my hot yoga, I was like, because it was so difficult and you're, you know, you're in 38 degrees and you're holding all these poses and you're literally fucking, your heart rate's going 140 beats a minute and you haven't left your mat. When you are moving and you've got to have your brain come with you, you've got no choice but your brain to be yeah. current present yeah. in what you're doing. Exactly. You can't be, you don't, you can't have a monkey mind whilst you're doing movement with yoga. And I've found it really, really beneficial. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Being present and learning how to control the monkey mind mm. is like, you know, number one and number two rule. <laughs> so it's like, it really is. It's like, yeah, it's, it's controlling our minds. Um, is, is so important when you're talking about regulation of mm. the mind, but also the body as well, you know, which, are, it, which, are interle- uh, which are linked, of course. And it's just such a bit of option. And I'm not dismissing medication. I'm not dismissing treatment through, you know, through oh, of course, yeah. psychotherapy, so your psychological treatments and, and the like. They have their place absolutely and, yeah. and they support, a, you know, a huge range of people. But having another option, having another go-to that is a natural state. And guess what, ladies and gents? It's, you know, it's free. <laughs> Breathing is free. Moving your body is free. And to she have... Some- with Jordan's not free, so <laughs> I just want to put a, a disclaimer out there, but uh, fair prices, but yeah. It's a, it's a fair exchange of value. That's that's absolutely for sure. But it's, it's one of those things that it provides you with another resource. Like, and I said tools in the toolbox before, you know, because more often than not, what vets will do is they'll get to that point where they don't have a tool left. They don't have it. Yep. They don't have it. They've, they've backed themselves into a corner. Yeah, and they definitely. think the only tool left is the last tool. No, <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, like, I know, that's, I'm like, I don't need yeah. to be here yeah. anymore. Fucking yeah. see oh, you later. Yeah. Like, yep. how sad? Yeah. Like, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, and that's and that's the unfortunately the reality that the veteran the veteran community finds itself in at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we're in we're in dire straits. You know, raw commissions. Um, you know the 
the the care that's required by veterans because you know they're up shit creek without a paddle mm. essentially um and you know they need help and you know we need to throw everything at it yeah i agree i love what you're doing mate um that brings us to the end of this podcast session i know we're going to have another one with you you've got so <laughs> much more to share um you know you talk about breathing you talk about all that sort of stuff so you know please go ahead and like uh Dubs will make sure we put the link to to Qigong. Qigong, what's Qigong. it? Qigong. Qigong. Fuck. Qigong spelt That's with a Q. Quite common, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, Qigong yeah. with Jordan on the on the link here, <laughs> and you guys can uh, go nuts. So I can't wait for you and I to connect at the professional level. Thanks for coming in, mate. Axons Unleashed. How'd you find that? Oh, awesome. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen you in probably ten years, Robbie. So um, it's awesome to catch up and have lunch have lunch with you, both of you guys. But yeah, thanks for inviting me on. And um, yeah, I've had a ball. This is my actual first podcast ever. So um, you yeah, did really I well, mate. It, yeah, I loved it. And um, yeah, except for the lights in your eye, it's, um, it's all good. <laughs> it's fine. I hope everyone got a lot out of that. I know I did. Mm. Thanks very thanks, much. Thanks, Robbie. Buddy. Yeah, cheers, See mate. you again yeah, next thank time. You, thanks, thanks everyone. Yeah. Good thanks on you, Loki.